This is the third in the series on Christology. In the first two, we talked about this kind of conflict over the desire to preserve the idea of the unity of Christ as one person, and on the other hand, the desire to preserve both Christ's true divinity and his humanity. And so, different people suggested different ways of trying to faithfully preserve the idea that Christ is both truly God and, and all at the same time truly man. And on the other side, there was interest in preserving Christ as a single person. Uh, we began, the sort of problems began with a uh, sort of I- an ideology that was developed by certain, say, very educated bishops of answering Arian and pagan objections to Christ's divinity by suggesting that Christ's uh, human actions were not, because the pagans were saying that, well, if he died, it can't be God, and therefore he wasn't really divine, as, as Ar- the Arians were saying something similar. So these bishops suggested that, well, really, it wasn't the Son of God who died, or who was tired, or whatnot, all these human things, but rather it was a, another another person. So this, um, we kind of, up here, the development of, of some of kind of uh, intellectual defense of Christ's, of the Son of God's divinity, but based on the idea that the Son of God and the Son of Mary are two separate people. And this line of thinking kind of culminated in uh, Nestorius, who became the Patriarch of Constantinople. In def- the church in general uh, rejected this line of thinking and the person who was most outspoken and this was Cyril of Alexandria, the Patriarch of Alexandria. And uh, we just, there's a, last uh, year we went through a book about him and his writings uh, are translated in the back, a lot of them by uh, John McGuckin. This is Cyril's uh, defense of the unity of Christ kind of culminated in the Third Ecumenical Council at Ephesus in 431. And that seemed to take care of things, but uh, there were still kind of defenders of uh, Nestorius around, and in the, in the conflicts after Cyril's death, one of Cyril's uh, followers named Eutyches suggested that not only was Christ one person, but that really after the incarnation there was only one nature, that his humanity was dissolved into his divinity. This uh, was also rejected by the church <coughs> in, uh, in general, although actually we're going to, that's where we're going to start. Um, Leo, the uh, pope in Rome, he, um, or patriarch of Rome, if you put what they are, historically they uh, wrote a letter called the Tome in which he defends the doctrine of two natures, but in some ambiguous phrases that unfortunately uh, caused some questions later. Um, as to whether he's maybe going too far towards the size of Nestorius. But right now, uh, Leo's letter, we left off with his letter, and it being coming uh, read at the Council of Chalcedon in 450, was, which was a, met to condemn the doctrine of Eutyches, that Christ's humanity was not, not uh, preserved in the Incarnation. And so Leo's letter was sort of made part of the results along with Cyril's letter preserving the, uh, preserving the unity of Christ. And then there's a formula. They came up with sort of a, an ending trying to combine 
the ideas of Cyril from the Third Ecumenical Council with the letter of, of Leo uh, attending against Eutyches, and that's where we'll start. That's the beginning of your... Well, actually, your page may begin with Leo. So if you go down to the second section. All right, the, there's a kind of long ending to the council, and also all this you can find in the... Um, the last volume, the 14th volume of the Nicene Post-Nicene Fathers. Following the Holy Fathers, we teach one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, okay, coming from Cyril in the Third Council, uh, complete in humanity and complete in divinity, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, homoousius with the Father in divinity and homoousius with us in humanity, Okay, now that, all that so far is, you'd see it, uh, actually that's in the letter that Cyril wrote to John of Antioch, which is called the Formula of Reunion in 433. This uh, protection of the completeness of humanity uh, the, by the use of the term homoousius, that we are, just as the Trinity, the three people of the Trinity are all of the same essence with each other, Christ, the Son of God, is, is homoousius with the Father and the Son because he is the Son of God. But through his incarnation, he now is homoousius, or <coughs> of the same essence with us. Okay, so this is preserving the completeness of both nature. And then also coming from Cyril, this idea of the two uh, nativities, that the, that the Son of God is one person who is born twice, again countering Nestorius's idea that there's the Son of Mary versus the Son of God as two separate sons, although he calls them one son at other places, but, but kind of by unity. Uh, in this case, it's basically that there's one uh, actor. So this, is, this so far is coming in from Cyril also. Uh, okay, one uh, son born before the ages from the, the father and divinity born from us in the last days. Okay, through the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos uh, in humanity. So the term Theotokos, which that's actually what got all this started back in 428, was the mother of God, so that the person being born of Mary is the son of God himself and not another person. Uh, now this, now kind of bringing in from Leo, one and the same Lord Christ, the only begotten, is known in two feces unconfusedly. What feces is the Greek word for nature, although um, having multiple meanings, unconfusedly, unchangeably, undividedly, inseparably. This is also, although all those words are coming from Cyril as well, and also the Cyril allows the idea of two natures in his letters after the council. But this is uh, important, the two natures are very important in Leo's letter. So this is defense against Eutyches now on the other side. Okay, and then taking pretty much... Uh, from Leo here, nothing of the distinction of the natures taken away through the union, <clears throat> but rather the property of each feces or nature is preserved and is gathered together in one prosopon, in one hypostasis, not being distinguished or divided into two prosopons or persons. So, as we read in Leo's tome last time, Leo talks about the properties of the nature being preserved. And this is what uh, Eutyches was denying: was that this, that these, uh, that the fullness of human, that humanity is once Christ unites humanity to Himself, 
that we can really speak of that humanity as still existing. And, and what uh, Leo is saying and what Chalcedon is agreeing is that no, his humanity remains our humanity, that, there's, that it's not losing anything in the incarnation. The council was accepted by most of the church. There were, though, some uh, followers of Cyril who questioned it and ultimately rejected the council. Part of this was uh, the way that uh, Pope Leo in the West uh, didn't have really any sympathy for the followers of Cyril who questioned it and was not willing to explain it or qualify his statements. And some of the things in the tome are written in a kind of confusing way that seemed to possibly imply that maybe there are two people, although in other parts of the tome he's clear that the Son of God is one person. And it just, um, you know, if you understand his statements in context, you can see what he means. But on the other hand, for people who are suspicious of the Nestorians, because the Nestorians often uh, try to kind of hide the implications of their two-person doctrine under, you know, saying, well, those two people are united in one person in a kind of, um, in a sense, using the terms in a way that are, is not uh, really uh, honest, let's say. That, but so anyway, this, uh, this causes what we call today the Monophysite Schism, and still around. The Monophysites are not Eutychians. They don't believe that the humanity disappears. They believe that humanity and, and divinity are both preserved, but they object to the use of the term uh, phusis as a separate uh, saying that, the, that Christ is to refer to the humanity and divinity because to, in Greek, the term phusis can have, is a double meaning. It can mean nature, but it can also mean a, a sort of a thing. So if you're saying that there are two phusises after the union, you could understand it as being that there are still two things. Christ is still, is still dual <coughs> in a way that t could, to them, imply Nestorianism. So they didn't want to use that term. We're going to look at um, this sort of struggle between these two, the, the Monophysites, the Church, um, the Nestorians, and the attempts to reunite the Monophysites back to the Church and are some of the arguments against the Nestorians. First, uh, the Emperor Zeno, the next, uh, the Hanoticon, in 482, he decides that, you know, this is too much of a controversy, so he decides that the best thing to do is to agree on what everybody agreed on beforehand. And, it, in fact, um, it's, a, it's a nice statement, but uh, what he does is he leaves Chalcedon out, and he also leaves uh, what's called the Robert Council out. That was the council at which the uh, doctrines of, of which Eutyches had been uh, supported. So those two councils are set aside, and he just leaves off with the Council of Ephesus, where Cyril uh, was you know, uh, victorious over Nestorius. He accepts... Uh, well, actually, he condemns, the, condemns Nestorius, but also condemns Eutyches. So that's such the point of Chalcedon was to condemn Eutyches. So he says, "Well, we condemn Eutyches," <coughs> but he doesn't. But by not including the council, he doesn't have to include the problem of Leo's tome and its ambiguous statements and whether people the people disagreed about. He accepts the twelve anathemas of Cyril, which are very clearly anti-Nestorian. 
And then he gives uh, this statement at the end. We confess the, that the only begotten Son of God, himself God, who truly assumed man, uh, manhood, is homoousius with the Father and, uh, and the humanity, so it's sort of the similar as to what Chalcedon says. He descended and became incarnate of the Theotokos, is one and not two. So far, just this, kind of the same as, as Chalcedon. But then he says something uh, different at the end. For we affirm both his miracles and the sufferings are those of a single person. And this is a, almost a, a partial quote from Leo's tome. Because Leo talks about the two natures. He says, uh, the logos shines with miracles while the flesh suffers. Um, suffers. Uh, I forget what the exact words are. But, but um, in that phrase because of the way he's using logos to mean nature, but it, it's a term that can also refer to the person of the Son of God, it's, it makes it look like he's saying that there's two different people doing different things. And so in this uh, qualification that Zeno is writing, he's uh, saying, well, that both the miracles and the sufferings are being done by the same person. So essentially, if you, if you had any doubts about what Leo is saying, now we clarify that. We, we completely uh, reject an Nestorian interpretation of that statement. So in a way, by backing away from the tome, kind of uh, answering the main charge that the Monophysites were making against the tome, and then trying to just uh, incorporate the, the positive results of Chalcedon and the Council of Ephesus, what, his, what uh, Zeno hoped was that that would unite the church and uh, surprisingly, you know, it did. Uh, a lot of people criticize uh, the Henoticon because people, you know, generally don't like emperors uh, meddling around in theology and, you know, meddling with the church. But actually, uh, you know, this statement, because it was conservative and it kind of included what most people agreed with, uh, the great majority of the church rejected it. I mean, excuse me, accepted it. There were there were two groups that rejected it. One was uh, the Bishop of Rome, because he didn't like anybody changing, uh, you know, not accepting Leo's tome and the Council of Chalcedon, so they would not accept the Henoticon. And then um, there were some uh, sort of radical Monophysites in the East that did not accept it, also. But that was a relatively small group. There's a yes, you had a question. Did you know, actually, write the write it or did you have no. I, I, yes, you're probably right. I mean, it's, it's unlikely that he wrote it. I would guess that this was um, probably his ad, uh, advisors, the theological advisors, bishops or monks or something. They probably uh, basically just took what everybody agreed, put it in, and then he issued it as a statement. And the um, the idea was that that by if what they wanted was though that if everyone whoever would agree to this that they would agree to all be in communion with each other just on the basis of this statement. And actually, the Monophysite patri Patriarch of uh, Egypt, of Alexandria, Peter Mongus, did agree to that. So, um, so Egypt was in communion with the Chalcedonians for a long period here, even when there were sort of radical Monophysites who were rejecting communion with the Chalcedonians. The great majority of the Monophysites at that time were in communion with the church. The only thing was the, the Roman church did not accept it. There was a... Um, an election of, of the uh, popes and there at the time uh, Symmachus and Laurentius and uh, 
<coughs> Laurentius was in favor of it, and Symmachus was against it. And this was right after, this is the time you see, um, of course, he's 482, it was 488 when Theodoric and the Ostrogoths went over to Italy. But once they took over Italy, <coughs> they, uh, you know, the kind of didn't like the idea of uh, having a, a pope who agreed too much with the Byzantine church. <laughs> so he favored uh, Symmachus to be pope because Symmachus was opposed to the Henoticon. And so that way, uh, Italy was out of communion with the, with the rest of the church for part of this time. Okay, um, that worked for quite a while, but the, there was, a, Zeno uh, died and another one, Anastasius took over, and things kind of stayed the same, but then there were wars with Persia, and uh, the Emperor Anastasius started getting worried that maybe uh, the Monophysite people that lived in Syria were not supporting him enough and that he felt he needed their help to overcome the Persians. So he started uh, being friends with the radical Monophysites, those who did not accept the Hanoticon as being sufficient <coughs> for communion. And one of these uh, prominent person was named Severus of Antioch. Uh, it was Severus, actually he was from Beirut, but he uh, Anastasius kind of supports him to become Patriarch of Antioch. But <coughs> everyone else was scandalized because here they'd all agreed on this Hanoticon, and here and now we have this radical uh, person becoming patriarch who is not supporting intercommunion. But um, he's also, besides being becoming patriarch, he is one of the leading Monophysites the theologians of this period, <coughs> and so it's worth just taking a look at him because he represents kind of classical Monophysite theology, and it's it's a good to. Um, see the distinction between monophysite, uh, let's say, the monophysite churches and the doctrine of Eutyches, which, because so many people, including uh, church history books, you know, often act as if those are the, treat those as if the same thing, that, that as if monophysite churches were just simply teaching Eutychianism when, there's actually, when they reject Eutychianism uh, just as much as we do. Okay, and this is a quote from a letter of his to Count Ecumenius. We do not anathematize those who confess the properties of the natures, because okay, that's what Leo and Chalcedon are talking about, these preserving the properties of the natures of which the one Christ exists. But So it's not, so they don't disagree with humanity, that the humanity is preserved. But those who separate the properties and apportion them to each nature apart and he is divided by the fact that they speak of two natures after the union, two fusis after the union, with the, with the natures which have been cut asunder into a duality and separated into distinct diversity go the operations and properties, as the words of Leo's impious letter state in what he said, the word doing what belongs to the word and the body doing what belongs to the body. And Severus requires... Uh, an anathema of the Council of Chalcedon is heretical as a condition for being in communion. And this is because, well, it's, so it's, this is actually the phrase, of course, that everybody didn't like in Leo's tome that, that seems to potentially imply two people. And so um, he points to that and says, well, obviously, Leo is not just talking about humanity being preserved, but he's, he's talking about a separate person, that human nature existing as a separate person, which of course um, 
if you look at the rest of Leah's letter, is not what he means, but that's it is, you know, this one little phrase can can be interpreted that way. And that's what actually this is the phrase that in the Hanoticon, the Hanoticon uh, reverses this and says that the uh, well, there's actually a, it's a it's a little later phrase. Sorry, in the tome, the the miracles and the suffering are by the same person. Okay, this is just a the next section is just a summary of what uh, happens. Uh, Anastasius dies, and uh, the head of the body imperial bodyguard Justin becomes emperor. And uh, he has a nephew who's a very brilliant young man named Justinian, and uh, who takes an interest in theology. And when Justin dies, Justinian becomes the emperor himself, and he rules for a very long time, actually one of the longest ruling emperors. <coughs> and during his, his time as emperor, he tries to bring about a reunion between the Monophysites and the, and the uh, Orthodox. Um, while he's when, when Justin first comes in, uh, Justinian is kind of friends with this group of what they call Scythian monks, but by Scythia they mean Romania, so Romanian monks, uh, because they're Latin speaking. They go over to Italy and they try to interest uh, the Pope, at that time of Hormistus, in the, in the phrase that one of the Holy Trinity suffered for us as something that could be uh, agreed upon by both the Monophysites and the Orthodox. At that time, Pope Hormisdus uh, rejects the idea of that. He he just thinks it's too controversial and doesn't want to doesn't want to get involved with that. Uh, under Justinian's support, later Pope John II uh, in 533, because well the f they go over in 518, and so in 518 the Pope won't take it, but the in 533 Pope John II does support it, and actually with that. Uh, the movement towards reunion becomes stronger because what is this one of the Holy Trinity suffered for us? This is what uh, we find in the twelfth anathema of Cyril in the third, his third letter to Nestorius because it's again just like the term Theotokos, it's a clear statement of who is the person doing this. One of the Holy Trinity is dying on the cross just like Theotokos, one of the Trinity is being born in Bethlehem. So that uh, clearly puts when, when the sort of the Orthodox Church kind of endorses this statement, it's clearly identi identifying itself as being anti-Nestorian, which is what the Monophysites want. They want Monophysites remember, were afraid that those who were supporting Leo, uh, you know, are perhaps secretly Nestorians. Of course, and there were friends of Nestorius who supported Leo's tome precisely for those reasons. This just kind of follows it through, and uh, in Justinian's life, he writes a number of theological works, but uh, it culminates with the an ecumenical council that he holds in 553, and it's this council that this class will sort of end with, is that in this council, the uh, movement to try to qualify Chalcedon by combining it with the uh, a clear, uh, clear defense of Cyril and and um, a clear opposition to Nestorianism is going to kind of be culminated in that council. Okay, this one of the Scythian monks uh, left some writings behind, so I'll just look at him so you can see what what they're saying. Besides that, one of the Holy Trinity. His name was John Maxentius, and he wrote in Latin. 
and then it's he, the first statement. Uh, it's a dialogue that he wrote against the Nestorians, and it's interesting because if you think if you were here for when we read Nestorius's letter, there was something Nestorius said, which I I pointed out that whether he was absolutely correct in seeing what was the problem between the Nestorians and the uh, Orthodox, and since also the Monophysites is this idea of nature and person not able to be separated. That the that the son of that the son of God in a sense was trapped within the limits of the divine nature, and this is what he says: Surely this is the cause of your error, understanding nature and person to be the same, and believing nature never able to be without a person. You always preach two natures as two persons, and this is uh, as our the book on Nestorianism that we have in the library now. That's exactly what it is. They still argue that. Basically, they equate nature and person. So, every father that talks about two natures, they see that as as justifying their belief in two persons. And anyone who rejects two persons, they say, well, that's a Eutychian because they're not accepting. Because by rejecting two people, that means you don't accept that the humanity still exists. So it's it's because in their in their minds, the two are inseparable. Therefore, you can't uh, you can't have a humanity without a human person. Then he, um, in this next one, he will explain his uh, one, one of the Holy Trinity statement. I do not say that the divinity suffers, kind of against the Nestorian, but that God suffered everything in the flesh, <coughs> because Christ who suffered is without doubt God. <coughs> and this is the orthodox thing, is that kind of, uh, in a sense, we don't try to explain it philosophically, we just sort of say that, <coughs> you know, that philosophical principle of person and nature being <coughs> inseparable that well however that is somehow it's actually God who is the one who's dying on the cross <coughs> even though it's through his flesh but still it's him if someone does not agree to confess Christ one of the Holy Trinity even with his own flesh who has suffered for us in the flesh let him be anathema and that's uh, from his list of anathemas if someone says God was not made Christ but Christ was made God, let him be anathema. And this is referring to the Nestorian idea that that this Jesus, the son of Mary, was somehow deified by his association with the, the son of God. And um, this is similar to something that was in Cyril's, uh, Cyril's anathemas has a similar statement, but rather that it's, it's God who becomes... Um, who becomes Christ through the incarnation? He becomes he becomes the <coughs> incarnate God, Son of God, not a human person who's who's being uh, exalted. <coughs> this is a uh, Paul of Nisbus. He was a professor of uh, Aristotelian logic and theology at the School of Nisbus. This was a, a seminary for the Church of Persia, and this became the center of Nestorian doctrine. Uh, which is why the Church of Persia today is still Nestorian. And he, tr he uh, traveled over to Constantinople to have a debate with the Emperor Justinian. There's some debate about when, when this happened, whether it was 532 or 562. I kind of now think more likely 532, but yes? Is it actually debating the emperor? Well, the emperor was there. Of course, you know, whether uh, the emperor starts it off, whether the emperor is the person doing all the talking you know, once it gets going, I don't know. They ju it starts out, um, the first, you know, it says, you know, the, the emperor says this, you know, the Paul of Nisbet says that, 
and then it kind of says just the the orthodox versus the Nestorian. So whether there are other people doing talking, I don't know. But it's uh, only preserved in Syriac, but uh, available online in English. It's uh, okay. So here's but his arguments. So he's these are Nestorian arguments now. There's not uh, orthodox. If Christ possesses a subsistence in his divine nature and subsistence in his human nature, then a subsistence plus a subsistence makes two subsistences. Therefore, Christ has two hypostases and two natures. So therefore, each nature has its hypostatic existence. And it, that's the thing, because he, he doesn't see any possibility of separating that. So therefore, if each of these natures has its existence, there must be two uh, subsistences. He means existence in a hypostasis. Therefore, you have to say that Christ is two hypostases or two persons. And then he says, every hypostasis is known according to its nature, and every nature which exists is known and seen by sensation, perception, and the contemplation of its of the mind in its own hypostases. So there's right. So there's for the for him as a kind of just basically taking it from Aristotle. You can't have uh, you can't have a nature existing unless it's got its person, basically its hypothesis, which in this case is a person, human, you know, human. Uh, so that so he's basically just using uh, secular philosophy to prove logically that you have to be an historian, and that's and the problem is you know so you could try to say well you know should we be studying philosophy then to kind of prove that well no you know it doesn't have to be that way. In a way, the church, uh, although that's okay to do that, but the church's uh, approach is just that, well, we have a tradition, and that tradition is coming from God, and that tradition is, is talking about mysteries that are beyond human comprehension. So our job in the church is to be faithful to that tradition. I mean, the tradition is, uh, you know, that Christ is the Son of God and does all this, and so it doesn't fit in, obviously, with our study of philosophy, but that's, that's all right. You know, it doesn't have to fit in. We just have to preserve it, and then if we can figure out some way to explain it, well, that's okay. But it's uh, it's not that's not we're not coming from the point of view that well we have to be able to prove that uh, you know come up with a philosophical proof for what we believe. We're we're in, in in holding on to a tradition, not not trying to create one. But um, the people who are replying to this uh, one is of. Uh, the, the bottom quotation and the next thing is uh, is Justinian's reply. But Justinian was very influenced by another uh, theologian who was associated with his court called Leontius of Jerusalem. So above that is a quote from Leontius uh, whose dialogue against with the Nestorians. And I, I personally wonder whether that dialogue is not uh, written kind of as, a, as an expansion on this debate. That's why one of the reasons I, I think it's from actually the 530s, because Leontius was writing in the 540s <coughs> the, um, and died about 545. And this is trying to answer this thing of how can the, the humanity exist unless there's a human person. First from Leontius, the humanity of the Lord never existed alone, nor was distinct from the hypostasis of the word. For we say the humanity of the Savior subsisted in the hypostasis of the word from the beginning and never subsisted on its own. So that is that that this humanity 
okay, it has a hypostatic existence, a hi existence in a hypostasis, but it's not a separate human man, but it's existing only in the person of the Son. Of, it's, it is existing in a person, but that person is the divine person, the Logos. And then in Justinian, uh, Christ does not have two hypostases, as he had two natures, because his humanity is not numbered and counted with him as having its own particular hypostasis because it is truly his own and not that of another man. But we know one hypostasis of God, the Word, which contains in itself the two existent natures of his divinity and his humanity. Okay, so again, this, uh, which in the Leontius uh, uses a term to describe this called en hypostasis, that the, that, the, that the humanity is existing in the person um, in the person of, of of the Son of God, not in not in its own uh, its own hypostasis. Justinian wrote a number of books. Oh, I want to show you. We, these are actually from this period, which is a very um, important period in Orthodox uh, uh, patristics. Most of the writings are not in English. You can't actually read <laughs> you can't read most of this stuff uh, unless you're going to read the originals. But uh, just you know, not too many years ago, uh, someone <coughs> translated, Kenneth Weshe translated uh, the Greek writings of Justinian, uh, except for the, there's not the fragment of uh, one of his letters, letter to Zuelis in there, but uh, but the major writings, on the, it's, it's marketed as On the Person of Christ by uh, St. Vladimir's Press. So this has his three, his three major works uh, from Greek that are, pre that are preserved in Greek in um, in English here with a commentary and it's it's excellent. So this is a um, you know a chance to read some of the writings. In a sense, Justinian was kind of a popularizer of the other fathers of the period. So in in sense, his uh, writings are perhaps the best to read because they're the most uh, uh, accessible. I think in besides you know besides being in English, I mean, but just the way they're written, they're written for mass distribution. Whereas the people who were kind of inspiring him were often writing in uh, you know theological debate and so it's they're more particular thing. but but of these the the work on the right faith was intended uh, for mass distribution as an explanation of Chalcedon to answer the objections of the Monophysites and 551 AD so 2 years before the 5th council and and in fact this this work becomes very influential and in a sense sets the tone for um, what will be decided in the council, although the council even goes beyond it in some things. But just a couple of quotes here. And, well, I just basically wanted to, these are kind of um, just examples of how, what I, one of the things, you know, in some sense, a lot, uh, some of this is quite repetitive, and, and it's intentionally so, because what I'm trying to show is that um, each of these fathers is not inventing a new doctrines, but what they're doing is they're they're picking up the things which which work, you know, from uh, so from Cyril or from Leo, and kind of continuing them and and sort of a adding uh, things from Cyril's letters that become, in a sense, formulas that the church uses. So, in a sense, by um, you know certain things like so, Nestorius suggests uh, you know Christotokos, right, and the church rejected that. Uh, but Theotokos, the church accepted because it it um, kind of securely def defended the idea of, of Christ of the of the Christ being the Son of God. In the same way, 
the idea of the two homo being homoousius with the father and the son kind of once it was first you first see it in Cyril's letter to um, to John of Antioch in 433 but people recognize that oh that's a good formula that does explain what the church teaches that he's both God and man so it, it starts being kept by every writer after that they keep using it and the same of the of them being him being born eternally and born in time so just here at the top you'll see that the first uh, the first uh, paragraph there is almost uh, all found in the Cyril's letter to uh, to John of Antioch there's the uh, the double homoousius the double births uh, and then down below what's what's sort of new is this uh, emphasis on the the, Theopa the what's called the theopascite formula being that that the son of god is suffering that uh, so the identification of the person dying on the cross as being the the divine logos not uh, just a man the same the same one in his flesh is passable and in his divinity impassable so he's both preserving passable able to suffer as a man but not able to suffer as god for he took upon himself suffering and and, and death for he who took upon himself suffering and death is not someone other than the Logos, but the impassable and eternal Logos of God, submitted, who submitting uh, himself submitting to be born of human flesh. <clears throat> so, this um, <clears throat> what he's doing is is this I, what this uh, was in Cyril's what was kind of controversial in Cyril's twelfth anathema, <clears throat> and when the Romanian monks went to Rome this statement one of the holy trinity suffered for us the pope didn't want to include it but now <coughs> it's been around and people are saying well this this is it you know really we have to say that the son of god is the person suffering otherwise if we say it's somebody else suffering then we're not you know we're not reflecting christian the christian faith <coughs> so now you know it's starting to show up and it's it's prominent here in this uh, in his this work on the right faith Okay, now this, uh, the last part here is just all the results of the council. And this um, council, in a sense, puts together all of this, kind of accumulates all this that we've been talking about. But it does something more. It's actually uh, a really striking event in church history because the, this council, because the Monophysites had their formulas from Cyril, you know, that... Uh, from two natures, one that Christ was one, one incarnate nature was something Cyril liked to say, um, and they had those formulas. And then you know we had uh, Chalcedon had we had the formulas in two natures coming from Leo. So how you know how do we put this together? And what um, the Council of Constantinople does is say, well, in a way, it's not the formulas that matter, but what do we mean by the formulas? So the problem, the reason why every, we kind of object to each other's formulas is we say that, well, what Leo says, okay, doesn't maybe he doesn't mean that there's two persons, but if you take that statement he made, it could be interpreted that way. If you take the statement that uh, Cyril makes, one incarnate nature, he, he doesn't mean that there's, you know, humanity wasn't preserved, but you could interpret it that way. So we don't like that. But then, So each side was saying that the other person's uh, statements, you know, could be interpreted heretically. And so the, what the council does is it says, well, all of these statements can be interpreted heretically. 
but they also can be interpreted in an orthodox manner. And so what we're going to do is we're going to <coughs> say that we'll accept, you know, any of these, we'll accept the monophysite statements or our statements. They're both right if interpreted in an orthodox way, but we reject even our own statements if they're interpreted in a heretical way. So it's, that's how they... Um, you know, they tried to get past the conflict over the formulas themselves and walk, talk about what is it that both sides are really trying to say by these formulas. But in a certain sense, you have a, also this a kind of accumulation of agreed upon terminology. And if you just look at the, okay, our first section here, um, if anyone does not confess that Logos has two nativities, okay, so that one from eternity from the Father and the other in the last days from the Mary the Theotokos, Mother of God. So that's kind of, now, these are um, statements that everybody's agreed on for all of them. In the next one, this is uh, number three. He's qualifying uh, Leo, because remember the, the, the phrase of the, the one that Severus was condemn, uh, condemning, if anyone, well, saying that the, uh, the flesh, excuse me, the, the Logos works wonders while the flesh um, suffers. Well, it says, if anyone shall say that the wonder-working word of God is one person and the Christ that suffered is another, but that he was not one and the same, our Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, incarnate and made man, uh, go, up, 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 go on, let him be anathema. So, essentially, as if you interpret what, Cyril, what Leo is saying in the tome, as if it's really talking about two people, well, then we condemn that. We, con we condemn that interpretation of Leo. And that's why, um, because that is, it's answering the Monophysite's objections, well, that people are only accepting Leo because they want to be historians. So, no, we, we accept Leo, but we're saying if you interpret him in a historian way, that then you're condemned. And then um, the next one, four, is the formulas from uh, Chalcedon, if anyone shall say that the union of the word of God was only um, according to grace or energy or dignity, um, speaking thus clear, clearly of two persons and only designating disingenuously one person and one Christ when the reference is to his honor, okay, let him be anathema. So basically, if you, in other words, what the Monophysites were saying is that there were people who were subscribing to Chalcedon, and Chalcedon talks about one person, and which, rightly, because Nestorius does this. I mean, Nestorius and his, his friends, um, Nestorius wasn't alive for Chalcedon, but he basically was willing to say one person, but in a disingenuous way. In other words, as a, a way of masking his real theology, which was a, a belief that the Son of God and Son of Mary were really separate people. And so, what they're doing is saying, okay, that it's not enough that we, we reject those people who are accepting the formula of Chalcedon, but not its true meaning. In other words, if you're, so if you're really an historian, then we reject, reject you, even if you are willing to say one person. And this is a, a, the next one, uh, point five, is, is like that too. If anyone understands the expression... Uh, one only person of our Lord Jesus Christ in this sense that it's the union of many hypostases um, okay then so they are being anathema but um, there's something interesting here okay and, and as if in other words if you're teaching the uh, insane doctrines of Nestorius but accepting 
Chalcedon's formula of one person, you know, you're still condemned. But, and if anyone shall slander the holy council of Chalcedon, pretending that it made use of the expression, one hypostasis, in this impious and historian sense, we also, you know, anathematize that. So, what they're saying is that, um, so for the Monophysites who are saying, well, really, Chalcedon's just teaching Nestorianism, but, you know, putting it under uh, innocent-seeming formulas, well, they'd say, well, that's, we, we completely reject that interpretation of Chalcedon. Not, uh, okay, now, uh, six is the term Theotokos, and then here, it's interesting also that, again, the, of course, Theotokos clearly is, is Orthodox, and the teaching the logo, the God is the person being born, but there's interesting, there's kind of this um, fear of, um, of, of people mis being misleading. Um, if anyone shall not truly, but only falsely, call the Holy Virgin Mary Theotokos, or call her only in a relative sense, as if b believing she bore only a simple man and that God the Word was not incarnate of her, but resulted from a, a union and shall culminate the, and shall culminate the Holy Synod of Chalcedon as though it asserted the Virgin to be Theotokos according to the impious sense of Theodore, or shall call her Anthropotokos or Christotokos as Nestorius does, then let him be condemned. So there's a, there's this um, sense of trying not only to defend the formulas of, of Chalcedon, but also that to uh, to separate themselves from Nestorians who would who would uh, use this Chalcedon as a cloak for their Nestorianism. And that was important because, in a sense, that that group of, N of Nestorians who were accepting Chalcedon, in a sense, was what was driving the um, Monophysites away from Chalcedon. By saying, well, look, all the Nestorians like Chalcedon, so obviously the real meaning of it must be two persons. And so by you know, basically condemning them and saying that, you know, you, you have to accept um, the traditional meaning of the term, of, of what, what is, what's being said at Chalcedon, not just, um, just using expressions alone. Now, in the next one, into natures and from two natures, these were formulas that, um, this is where you had this contrast of formulas, into natures was a formula from Leo and used in Chalcedon saying, if anyone uses the expression into natures, does not it confess one Lord Jesus Christ has been revealed in divinity and humanity, but shall take the expression so as to divide the elements, um, but shall, okay, making, uh, and not taking in a theoretical manner the difference of the natures which compose him, but shall make use of the number two to divide the natures or make them to persons, properly so called, let him be anathema. So in other words, what we're doing is the so we're condemning people who accept the Council of Chalcedon into natures if they use that as an excuse for Nestorianism. And uh, the phrase in a theoretical manner that comes from uh, Cyril's letter, because Cyril, his letter to Sicensis, he um, he accepts that John of Antioch's use of the word two natures in theory. So because he's criticized for that, and he says, "But no, if we accept these only in a theoretical manner, not not so as to divide Christ into two people." So in this, they're essentially almost quoting Cyril.
Number eight, this is the, uh, he's referring here to the uh, formula that the monophysites like better of two natures. If anyone uses the expression of two natures, confessing that a union was made of Godhead and humanity, or the expression one nature made, uh, well, made flesh of the word of God, which is the one, one incarnate nature, and shall not so understand these expressions as the Holy Fathers have taught, that, in, Holy Fathers in this case being Cyril particularly, that is, that the divine and human nature there was made a hypostatic union, which whereof is one Christ. So that if you so if you accept these two monophysite formulas in the way that Cyril taught them, then that's fine. You know, see. So that's so now the Chalcedonians are basically saying here, we'll accept your formulas as long as you mean by them what Cyril meant by them. But um, but if you uh, but shall try to introduce uh, one nature or substance by mixture of the Godhead and manhood in Christ, then be anathema. So in other words, we're, we're condemning these phrases only if they're understood as eutych- in a Eutychian way, as a mixture of the divinity and humanity. But if, long as, if you understand them in an orthodox way, as Cyril taught them, then they're fine. And this is, um, well, this was how really this council although it didn't completely end the Monophysite uh, schism, it, to a great extent, helped bring the church back together. Uh, Then the next one, wherefore there is one Christ, uh, homoousius, okay, that's the same as uh, as in the other, uh, as we've seen since the formula of union. Okay, and then the last uh, one we'll talk about, the, the Theopascite, uh, if anyone does not confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, who is crucified in the flesh, is true God and the Lord of glory and one of the Holy Trinity, let him be anathema. So here, taking Cyril's controversial 12th anathema and now including it in the conciliar formula. So this is now, so Cyril's anathema and the, um, remember the Scythian monks, that, that that was controversial, but now that's actually the part of the decision of the Fifth Ecumenical Council. So just like the term Theotokos, that we we take that uh, as necessary, because as necessary um, kind of proofs of the son of, that the Son of God is the person doing the the, uh, the saving of us the, through His birth and, re- and death and resurrection. The last one is uh, criticism of Theodore of Mopsuestia, which of course the uh, people in the Church of Nestorian church don't like very much. Uh, they, I mean, they, because they, they like Theodore very much. They don't like. They didn't like this council. I guess you could see why. If you, re- if anyone defends the impious Theodore of Mopsuestia, who said that the word of God is one person, but that another person is Christ, uh, vexed by sufferings. And again, this same impious Theodore has also said that the union of God the Word with Christ is like that which exists between a man and his wife, that the twain shall be one flesh. If then anyone shall defend this most impious theater in his writings, uh, in which he vomits the blasphemies mentioned above, and countless others besides, let him be anathema. So this was not a, you know, it's kind of an ecumenical gesture to the, uh, church of, the Church of Persia, I suppose. All right, any questions? Yeah. Just curious, could you give an example of the consequent, like the practical consequences of having two separate natures? Yes. Um, well, the practical consequence is that the uh, 
the Son of God was able to be born because if, if he didn't have a human nature, God God is uh, bodiless and visible. He wouldn't be born. We wouldn't have been able to see him. Wouldn't have been able to walk around and uh, die or rise. So yeah, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had the Christian religion <laughs> if uh, he hadn't become become man. Yeah. Is that, is that what you meant, or is there something else? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, well, isn't aren't what the council's fighting against is like two separate? Okay, as opposed to the yes. Okay, so do you mean in the sense of if if the humanity and divinity had if the humanity had become mixed with the divinity, sort of? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, I guess first of all, what they would say is that well, if his humanity was not the same as ours, then how would his death and resurrection have saved us? Because that's right. So that because the, it really comes down to uh, the Christian tradition of salvation, that the Son of God became man, took on our human nature in order to heal it uh, from sin by his by his death and resurrection. So if that doesn't happen, then there's something. Then we don't have Christianity. That's so. That's the problem. Is that whenever one of these, uh, whenever you start following philosophical logic and you're no longer saying that, then then you're no, you know, I mean, it might be logical, but it's not Christian anymore. Any other questions? Yes. This quote from uh, Leontius of Jerusalem, yes. Justinian, mm-hmm. is he considered orthodox or? Yes. Or or, okay, because I have a question. Okay. Of interpretation of this, this one claim where he says, "For we say the humanity of the Savior subsisted in the hypostasis of the Word from the beginning." Okay, so hold on. Yeah. Well, in other words, from the beginning of its, in other words, that the the humanity, his humanity didn't have a prior existence. Before the incarnation. Right. In other words, yeah. In other words, the human nature began with Adam, but but that there's not a human person waiting around for the son to come along and then say sort of joining up. So his so the, the the word's humanity only exists in the word, and only from the time of the incarnation. Okay, because I was interpreting. Yeah, not from eternity, from right? <laughs> no, no, right? No, no, that would be. Uh, that would be the. Right, that, yeah, because that would be. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's what he's against, actually, okay. you know, of a pre-existent humanity, which is what that kind of was what the Nestorians are saying. Any other questions? Is there a is there a is it has this survived to this day or has it just become a modern or has there become a modern version of this um, yes I mean well all three survived in a sense there's a, I mean the Orthodox Church is still here and uh, the Nestorians are still uh, living over in Iran and, and Iraq there's uh, not a lot of them but then there's uh, you know, there are Monophysite churches all around of course the Monophysites actually, um, you know, a lot of church history textbooks kind of like to put it like, well, the Orthodox are sort of in the middle, and then, like, very symmetrical. The Nestorians and the Monophysites are just, because they identify Monophysites with Eutychians, and, you know, so Eutychians reject the human nature, and the, uh, the Nestorians, you know, kind of reject one person. But it's not really like that. There's not a lot of Eutychians around, but there's, because um, the, the Monophysite church, in that sense, uh, Never was Eutychian. It was always much closer to us. I mean, doctrinally, essentially, they mostly believed the same thing as we did, but they just didn't accept 
they're ner they were nervous about the formulas. Um, they were nervous about Leo and nervous about Chalcedon, but not not accepting Eutychianism. I mean, as you see with Severus, who's very radical Monophysite, but his radicalness is in whether or not they sh he should be in communion with Chalcedonians, not not his theology is really not that different than ours because he just he just said that the humanity and divinity are two essences not two he doesn't want to use the term phusis but that has more to do with greek than uh, than a different theology whereas nestorianism is clearly i mean it's a it's clearly a a, a major heresy because they're when you know if you're saying that the person dying on the cross is somebody else is not the son of god then you know, then you're depart departed from Christian faith. I think that's, a, or at least, a kind of very distorted. Is yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, you were asking if there were people still that um, that believe these other things besides orthodoxy, um, and uh, if you ever get in a in a if you ever get one of your Protestant friends to ask you why you call Mary the Theotokos, um, you might find out that they are in fact. Uh, they, they in fact believe heretical things about Christ because they do not accept the Theotokos and therefore they say that they will twist something and it's almost it's almost always because of using logic just like what was, what was happening um, back in these councils because people would say well logically it has to be XYZ people do the same thing nowadays a lot of Protestants have been very very surprised that I've found I've, I've been talking with people um, some of my friends um, talk with people and that you, you find out that the, the things that they actually believe are in fact these these heresies because they will say well Mary didn't actually give birth to God she gave birth to Jesus the man and it's like well well how, how are they different and, and if you start getting into it um, it's it's interesting to find that sometimes um, that, that, that they will in fact make these separations and they'll say oh well he was in fact um, two persons, or something like that. I, I say that's more common of, of uh, I'd say modern liberal Protestantism, in kind of de facto has become somewhat Nestorian. Um, among conservative Protestants, I would think it's you, they might get into some uh, logical twists, but in in general, they're not Nestorian. They don't. They might not like the term Theotokos because to them it sounds like. Uh, you know, Roman Catholic or something like that, but uh, and it's not. I'm not yeah. trying to make a generalization. Yeah. Yeah. You will find some of these people somewhere. Yeah. But uh, well, yeah. I, I, yeah I, it's the same. In my discourse in the past, this argument I've used against Roman Catholics for Mariology issues <laughs> has been since essentially a kind of a historian argument. It's been uh, Mary can't give birth to that which is divine. Divine right. can't become. Well, right, and and, and if and it's right in the sense of you can't give birth to divine nature, but but if you're going to be Christian, then you have to say, I mean, and I think conservative Protestants generally are saying that this is, you know, they don't seem to have a problem with Christ being the Son of God. They're, no, they're just, no. they're more worried about Mary than they are about, yeah, about, the uh, of the, of the yeah. troubling Mariology, though, I yeah. think the arguments will take point in the it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I think that's fairly accurate. Yeah, okay. Well, I think, yeah. Although or perhaps inadvertently, I guess, is there anything else that... Uh okay, well, it's time for Vespers.